You know that I take it back to day one with guests on this podcast. And I know all the interviews you do, you're so used to taking it back to day one. But Rory, I know your transformation is physically and mentally. So what do you see when you look in the mirror today in 2021? When I look in the mirror, um, I've always seen the good traits that I have, but I used to really fixate on my facial birthmark and it would always be a case I would think to myself, oh, well, I can see the good traits, but no one else can. All they see is the birthmark. That's all that they focus on. I was probably wrong to think that, but it's just the way that I felt at the time about my, my self-identity, I suppose. Um, but now when I look in the mirror and I see my birthmark, it reminds me of the journey that I've been on to get where I am today. And it sort of keeps me humble. Um, I can never stray too far away from my past experiences because I've always got this reminder on my face of where I've been. That's so powerful, mate. And me and your other friends will see all the good traits that you have. I wish I was as tall as you, as tall as you t- to begin with. <laughs> but uh, as a foreshadow, mate, I want to use this podcast uh, as a tool for me to use the art of shutting the fuck up essentially your story is incredible okay. and it needs to be heard itself on repeat on repeat on repeat and the message that you present me is much wider than the individual re- rare story that is yours I think right. anyone, literally anyone can pull and repurpose today's message because we are all categorically different and unique mm. so let's take it back to day one mate tell me your story when did you first know you were quote-unquote different Right, back to day one. Um, So I'm Rory, I recently turned 27 and I was born with a birthmark on my face which is called a venous malformation and basically all that is is a gathering of extra veins confined to a particular part of the body. Uh, Mine's on my upper lip and right cheek and it wasn't actually apparent um, at birth. It, It only became apparent I think maybe when I was around about a year old, my parents started to notice that my my upper lip was um, noticeably larger than the bottom lip. Went to the doctors, got diagnosed as a venous malformation. And the nature of the birthmark is it grows with you until you stop growing. Um, so as I got older, it grew bigger and bigger. Um, and as I've told you before, when we went on a walk together, I had it fully removed when I was four. Uh, through an operation but it actually grew back and I couldn't have any further surgery on it until I was a lot older um, because it was still growing but the the first time that I really noticed that I was different was um, first day of primary one um, my, my dad and my grand took me in and I just I, I can I can remember this quite clearly, uh, going into the classroom, meeting all my new classmates for the first time, the people that I was going to grow through primary school with. And I remember a few of the other children sort of being um, being very focused on me and, you know, tapping their parents and pointing at me and, and saying things to their parents. And I saw a couple of the parents sort of trying to turn, turn their head away from me to stop looking at me and then going over and having a little word with them. And I suppose, obviously, I was only four and a half years old at the time. Um, so I wasn't mentally prepared to fully compute that in my head. But I, I remember that that is the first time that I noticed that there must be something about me that 
that is different. Um, that was the first time I reckon uh, I recognised that there was a difference. And how did that stay with you? That that that, that first realization of feeling different. How did that stay with you throughout school? Well, um, it became very difficult to deal with because I, at the time I hated being the centre of attention and for many years, and even still, because I still look a little bit different, it's just something that I've accepted. I'm always going to be um, a little bit different to the norm in terms of how I look, but at one point in time I really couldn't deal with it and going through school, um, you know, whatever room I went into or if people hadn't seen me for the first time, it's not something you see very often as someone with a birthmark on their face. And I was, or I am the person that a lot of people know, um, know me for having a birthmark on my face. And as I got older through school, primary school was generally okay. Um, but I know there are certain things in primary school that were sort of the foundation for the way that I ended up feeling in my late teens um, mm. in terms of looking different and people whispering behind my back and me walking past them. And, you know, I'm, I'm just beyond, you know, I'm a few metres away from them, but I'm still within earshot and I've heard them say something nasty about me or I've heard them, oh, I wonder what happened to him. And, you know, all these little incidents that were happening on a regular basis all built up into me really thinking, you know, I'm, I'm different. People are always going to look down on me. People are always going to prejudge me. And, you know, that just manifested itself into pretty full-blown depression by the time I was about 17. Wow. So at the age of 17, how did... How were you? Was this the lowest of your lows? Did the microaggressions that were faced towards you have a snowball effect at this point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all these little little incidents, as I said, people, you know, pointing out my difference and making it apparent that I do have a difference. I, I mean, I was constantly looking for it. Wherever I went, I, I was always in the corner of my eye looking for someone staring at me expecting someone to say something, expecting someone to stare at me. And uh, by the time I was 17, I'd actually accepted the fact that, because um, at that time I'd started going for operations again. Like when I was 17, that was the first time I'd started going for operations since I was four. How many, uh, because I had, how many operations have you had, Rory? I've actually lost count, but I know it's round about, somewhere around about 20. Wow. Operations. And uh, I mean, one was when I was four, and then the rest were between the age of 17 and 22. So there was a five year period there where I, I had a, a load of operations uh, with a general anaesthetic every time. And by the time I was 17, I was going to be going into the first operation that I'd had since I was four. And I had pretty much no matter how much I love my family and my friends and all the rest of it, I'd pretty much accepted in my own head that if something were to go devastatingly wrong with the operation and, for example, I was to die as a result of having an anaesthetic or what have you, which is rare, but I know it can happen, um, I'd pretty much accepted that that wouldn't be the worst outcome because then I wouldn't have to go through not only the prejudice, but the battles within my own head, which were probably worse than the prejudice. Um, 
mm. because of the way that I doubted myself and I doubted my future. I didn't think I was ever going to be happy. Didn't think I was ever going to be confident. I didn't think I was ever going to be able to walk down the street or get on public transport without being consumed with anxiety because I, I really, I mean, like, as I've told you before, a dentist waiting room or the doctor's waiting room, for example, that was like the worst thing that I could imagine. Um, I was just consumed with anxiety as soon as, as soon as I walked into a situation like that. I'm so injected with perspective right now, Rory. Uh, and it's not even the first time I've heard that story about the, the, the battles that you faced in your head of tying your self-worth to the looks that you're given on the street and doubting your entire future and uh, uh, your your job outcomes and your yeah. perhaps maybe relationship outcomes and friendship outcomes because of yeah. the battles that are going on in your head. So that's, that's, that's how external internally looked in your head. How did that reflect yeah. in your actions? Did you go out much? No, not at all. Um... There's a period between between the ages of 17 and 23, I would say. Um, I was pretty much a recluse. Um, I was unemployed for about a year at one point because of the operations I was going through. I was then un unemployed for another nine months because I was having so many operations at such a quick rate that <clears throat> I was having an operation and there was a two to three week period of recovery at home. You know, it was hard to get a job with all that going on, and I knew that it would be a lot to ask of an employer to to willingly, you know, tell them that I've got these operations, I'm going to be off for three weeks at a time. Not only that, I didn't even have the confidence to go to a job interview, and the interviews that I did go to at the time, again, I was just consumed with anxiety, and I didn't go out much at all. Um, I play golf, so I would go out and play golf. But apart from that, I would stay in the house. And, you know, when when I got to the age of 18 and my friends started going out and I was hearing about all their stories at the weekend and stuff, there's nothing that I wanted to do more than join them and go and have fun with them. But I couldn't bring myself to do it because the way I felt at the time, I knew that if I walked into a club or a restaurant or a pub or a bar, it was just going to be all eyes on me. And I really couldn't deal with it at the time. So even though most of my friends I've been friends with since I was really young, and I've made a lot of new friends in the past few years, but the ones that have known me since I was really young, there is a four or five year period where I don't have many memories with them because I wasn't going out with them and having fun. And um, I know that that could have affected friendships because... You know, they'd be used to, to seeing other people and, and not used to seeing me. And luckily, I'm still great friends with everyone I was friends with back then. And we've made new memories since then. And we've made up for lost time, I suppose you could put it. Uh, but, you know, it still sticks with me. that was four or five years where I just didn't leave the house. And it's tough. But again, going back to what I said earlier, it's good for me to reflect on the dark periods like that because it shows how far I've come now. I'm reflecting on it now, Rory. I remember you told me that you spent your 21st birthday, the big pivotal birthday that even in America is like the the gateway to freedom, the gateway to adulthood. You spent, mm. you told me you spent that in your house upset and crying. And you told me just a couple of minutes ago that you couldn't go into nightclubs because you didn't want to be the centre of attention. You didn't want to be known as the different guy in the room. But now you're this confident 
ecstatic individual and you embrace being different or quote unquote mm-hmm. different like that's mm-hmm. that's what separates you from everyone else but you use you you say that you're the owner of a facial birthmark but uh-huh. you really are right now the owner you own that thing <laughs> you, it's amazing mate i'm so so proud of you i'm so so proud of that story i'm actually getting a bit emotional uh Thanks, David. and my gut like actually just here like i've heard it two or three times now and boy has it moved me again for like the, the third time of hearing it so I mean, i'm just so proud of you honestly and i've only known you such a short period of time but just one of my goals for 2021 is to become more empathetic because I suppress my emotions. And the reason right. the way I wanted to, to cure that was by hearing perspective of stories or struggles that I've not had to face myself in, mate. This is, this is the biggest one yet, so thank you. <laughs> no problem at all. Um, to touch on what you said about my 21st birthday, that was, I mean, I still remember it. Um, I got up in the morning and my mum and dad were, my mum and dad were really happy that day. They were, you know, their son was turning 21. It was a big day. They presented me with this beautiful watch that, uh, that I actually lost last year when I was drunk. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, <laughs> you were making up for story. lost time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, they presented me with this watch and uh, I was, I was so depressed and I sat down on the sofa and I, I got presented with this watch and they were really happy and they could see that something was wrong because I just wasn't reciprocating the energy they were giving me basically. And um, I sat for an hour and a half on the couch crying, an hour and a half, um, because it felt to me that I'd reached the age of 21, which is seen, as you say, it's like a pivotal moment, it's a milestone. And... I was still going through all the feelings that I'd faced since I was five years old and probably in a much bigger way because the more time went on with me feeling that way, the more I couldn't see uh, light at the end of the tunnel. And I always kept a glimmer of hope and it's a little glimmer of hope that I always kept in the back of my head. You just need to keep going, be patient because you know it is going to come to fruition uh, that you're going to get through this. But when I was 21, I'd been going through it for that long. I was just fed up. And, you know, I was 21, wasn't going out to nightclubs, wasn't uh, seeing my friends that much, was very depressed, didn't know what was going to happen in the future, didn't know if I was ever going to be happy or confident. And, you know, on a, a birthday that's an, as important as your 21st, it was, it was a really heartbreaking day for me. Um, but again, an important day in my story to show how far that I've come. 